Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. We're in our last uh, week of our Philemon series, and last week we talked uh, specifically around uh, the, the relationship and what Paul was asking Philemon and Onesimus to do and how incredible of an ask it was for Paul to ask for them to reconcile, for there to be healing in their relationship and for Onesimus to not only be forgiven of his debt, to not only be uh, considered a, a, a fellow brother in Christ, but even to do even more than that, which I believe Paul was, was making clear that you should... Uh, set him free, right? You should, he should be a true brother and an equal within the church and in the world. And this week, I want to talk about something slightly different. Uh, and, but but it's, obviously, it's a, along the same passage. And it's, it's about being an advocate. And I want to look specifically at what Paul did in order to try to convince Philemon uh, to follow God in this way. So let me pray Read the passage of scripture, then we'll pray and we'll, we'll jump in. So starting in verse 6 through 22, the only chapter of Philemon. This is what Paul writes. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although Christ Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated for you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done anything, done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ." Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one, more th- and one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you and answer to your prayers. God, we ask that uh, even in this moment right now that we could push aside many of the distractions of our lives, the problems that we have, the, uh, the worries that we, that we may have about our, our week, and we can um, just receive from your, your word even right now. 
that the words of Paul would, that were written thousands of years ago would come alive in our hearts and in our minds so that we would uh, never be the same. And God, would we be a people that are advocates uh, for those um, that, that need help, for those that are in need, for those that are, uh, maybe have less power than us or less um, privilege in our context and our culture? Would you, would you allow us to become advocates for the, the, even people in uh, our space right now in our church um, for your glory? In your name, amen. Have you ever tried to convince someone that has completely different beliefs than you, of something that you hold dear, like a certain moral or a certain standard that you have? It's very difficult, is it not? And I think that in our context, in our culture today, uh, it, it's getting even more difficult because we're facing and we're having people that they don't particularly just uh, inherently hold to Christian values or Christian ethics or, or, or there's not the, always the assumption that's held at the exact same time. Like, for example, have you ever tried to, to someone that has money that is not a Christian convince them that it's better good than to receive? That's a hard thing to, to convince them of. Like, you could probably say, hey, if you give your money away to this organization, you could have a voice in that organization. You could have power in that organization. That person that you gave money to might owe you a favor. And so, therefore, it would play out to your benefit long term. Or maybe uh, you would, people would look, with, look at you with admiration if you were generous and, and, and gave your money away. Or maybe that's just the acceptable practice when you have a certain amount of money. But it's very hard to convince somebody the ethic of Jesus around money, which is just generosity, not letting your left hand know what your right hand's doing, not doing it for power and privilege, but out of your love for God. Like that's another thing altogether. And so today, it'd be one thing to talk about being an advocate in our society as a whole. That's an important thing. That's an, a, probably a different sermon in some ways. But this is about the body of Christ. This is about people that, that have been united and partnered in the faith together. And where one person has, uh, needs to be challenged in a particular way, in this particular time, it's about slavery. It's about uh, forgiveness and welcoming back someone that's wronged you. But it could be a number of different social issues. It could be based off of poverty. It could be based off of race. It could be based um, off of gender. It could be raised, based off of uh, like ethics, like lying or cheating or stealing. It's uh, one person that's a follower of Jesus coming to another person and saying, what you're doing, how you're living, you may not even realize it is impacting you this way. And I think that because in light of the good news of Jesus, that you should change your way. So how does Paul approach this with Philemon? talked about Philemon last week being powerful and wealthy, esteemed in his context and his culture, that this letter would be written in front of the whole church and would undoubtedly, even in his form right now, cause him some concern and embarrassment, questioning from people around him. So how do we convince people? How would Paul go about convincing Philemon? How would we go about convincing people that their old way is not God's way? Something that seemed so natural and so normal to Philemon is to have slaves. But this is actually not the way that God would want him to approach Onesimus. Uh, something so natural as getting revenge is not the way of Jesus. So I want to give us, um, as a Christian, advocacy for change in one another's lives. I want to give us three hints 
and then five ways to advocate as a Christian. Three hints. So the first are based off of questions. And I think we can learn a lot from Paul and his approach and how he believes that change actually happens in other people that we love and that we care about. The first is, um, why didn't Paul just try to convince him that slavery was wrong through scripture or through logic? That was my first question. Why didn't he just try to explain to him that, that this is, you know, and I think that what Paul found more important than just going into an intellectual debate about this, maybe they'd have a conversation about this when he went there in a few months or even a year. But he needed to find common ground. What did they believe that was similar? What held them together as partners? Maybe the other question is, why didn't Paul just state the truth? Like some of us are like, I'm speaking truth to you. You can receive it or not. But I think... Paul knew Philemon. He knew him as a person. He knew how he would respond. And maybe that direct approach would have caused so much shame that he never would have gotten through to the heart of Philemon. So that's the second hint. The third thing that um, I think he could have done is to try to make Philemon feel guilty. He could have said, look at Philemon, you're so powerful. You are wealthy. You have all this esteem, and here you are, you're going to hold Onesimus, this slave, this person that, that Christ died for, and you're going to, to keep him this way, or you're going to get, enact revenge against him, or you're going to... He could have gone the guilty route. But I think Paul, if you read this passage, he takes the time to call out the love and the truth and the beauty that he sees in Philemon's life first. And he kind of sandwiches his, you know, like there's like, there actually is like a theory about this, right? Like compliment, right? Then you kind of say something that's a little bit harder for someone to hear. And then you compliment them on the other side, right? That's like, that's how they teach you to manage people, right? It's just like, you got to be positive, a little bit harder, positive again. He kind of does this in this passage. Paul knows that. How is he going to respond to this? He's not just trying to prove a point. I think that's what often happens, in our relationships, that we just try to prove a point to show that we're right, show that we have power, to show that we have the ability to make them do whatever we want them to do, or that we have the upper advantage, or we understand a greater understanding of what God is like. But Paul takes a different approach. He says, let me show you the beauty and the love and the truth that I see in your life because of the good news of Jesus. And because I see that beautiful thing, maybe I can challenge you in some of these hard ways as well. He's earning the right to speak truth into his life. You see that? He had a relationship. He had a deep affection for him. And so what are the five ways to advocate for change? I think the first one is to leverage the gospel. This is what we find in verse 6 and 7. This is the, very found, like this is the foundation of faith. He essentially says, we have a partnership because we are in Jesus. The basis for me asking for you to accept Onesimus back, the basis for me asking you to forgive Onesimus, the basis for, me to, for you to welcome him back into the fold, into the family of God, is because we are partners in Jesus. Because what the Jesus did at the cross, when he set us free from the law of sin and death, has united us, has made us partners has made us friends. And this is the foundation from which I can base my conversation with you about this new way that you need to live, about this challenge that I'm going to give you. 
They said last week, Paul believed that the gospel was strong enough to break down cultural norms, break down Philemon's power and privilege. Can you imagine Onesimus being asked to go back after he had run away? And this trust that he would have had to have in Paul, the trust he would have had to have in Philemon, that the gospel was strong enough to change his heart, to make his vengeful, angry, probably frustrated, embarrassed heart and allow it to be shaped and changed. So anytime that we're going to talk to somebody about things in their own life that, that, that you don't think is the way of Jesus or things that you need to call out, I would suggest starting with that very, the very foundation of faith that you have this unity that you have in Jesus Christ because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Second thing that I would leverage is friendship. There's this foundation of faith and then there's this foundation of love that he talks about in this passage. Verse eight Paul makes it really clear. He says, I could use my authority. I could just tell you, you better do this. You better obey. Now, I don't think I have that kind of power in our church, but that sounds pretty cool. You just be like, hey, I'm Paul. You owe me your very life, right? You're, you're, gonna, you're walking with Jesus because of me. You better listen. But he says, I could use my authority, but instead, I appeal to, you, I appeal to you on the basis of love. Isn't that beautiful? I could use my authority. I could use my power. I could coerce this. But I'm going to appeal to you out of your love for me and my love for you. Out of the foundation of our friendship together because of Jesus he goes on to say, Onesimus has changed. He is my son, and that matters to me, and what matters to me has to matter to you as well. I would love to keep him in my ministry of the gospel, of him to, to go on these trips with me, to help start new churches, to minister to people. I would love for him to stay with me, but I respect you so much that I wouldn't want to do that without your permission. I wouldn't want to do that first without talking to you without you reconciling with this person. I wouldn't want there to be a barrier in our relationship. So you can see the respect, the mutual admiration, the mutual love that he has for Philemon. And then the last part about this kind of leveraging the friendship, it comes in verse 17. He kind of says, if you consider us close, or if you love me, consider how you treat Onesimus as if it were me. Welcome him like you would welcome me. I can't help but think of Jesus' statement when he says, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've also done for me. Paul is kind of drawing upon the teaching of Jesus here to say, how you treat Onesimus, how you respond to Onesimus in this situation is how you think of me, is how you, you love me. That's how close he and I are. That's what I want you to think about. So he's leveraging his friendship. The third thing, to be an advocate for change is to leverage the gospel, to leverage your friendship, is to look at God's role. I love this, this like verse, verses 15 and 16 of this passage. And, and if you read it through a first couple times, maybe you just, you'd be focused on other things. But Paul says something pretty um, unique here. 
Verses 15 and 16 say this. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you, meaning Onesimus, for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. And this kind of idea of perhaps the reason. I think what Paul is essentially saying is maybe God has a role in this. Maybe all of this and what you view as Onesimus uh, betraying you and stealing from you and running from you, God is actually going to use for good. And I love how he doesn't say, like, this is what God is doing in this situation. He just says, perhaps. Just maybe. And I like that because I, I sometimes struggle with people that are, like, so definitive about God's will or action in the situation. Like a butterfly could fly by, oh, my gosh. That butterfly is from, from God, right? I told God this morning, if I saw a butterfly outside in the park, I knew he was real, right? I knew I could trust him. And there are times when Paul speaks definitively, but this time he's not, maybe, he's not even sure. He's just saying maybe God is working in this situation. Perhaps this is what's happening in this situation, that this separation is going to allow us to have this conversation and that you're going to be able to welcome back Onesimus into the family of God as a true brother, as a co-equal in the household of God and, and free. Perhaps God is doing something here. Perhaps this is all happening for a particular purpose. The fourth thing, fourth way that we advocate is to leverage your power. I said in verse eight, I could use my authority. That's an example of Paul saying, look, I'm not going to use my authority, but I do have it, right? Sometimes I talk to... (laughs) You're, it's like you hear, like my dad used to say stuff like that, you know, like, hey, you know, I mean, actually, I don't know if he actually said this, but you know, you hear the phrase, it's like, I, I, I brought you into this world, I can take you out, right? I can't imagine my dad saying that, but he did grab my arm and I would like literally shake in half because I was so fearful, even though he would never hurt me or do anything, but you just somehow you're like very nervous around your dad when he starts to show some authority. I'm sure Philemon started thinking to himself, so he could make me do this. Right? There is a leveraging of power in that statement. I could do this. I'm not going to, but I could. And the other way he leverages his power is he says this, verses eight, verse 18. If he owes you anything, charge it to my account. If this is money that's going to keep you from welcoming him back, if you really need this money or if this money is so dear to you or there's just like a sense where this, there can't be justice unless you get whatever he owes you back, just let you know I am going to take care of that. Paul's saying I'm going to make enough tents or I'm going to raise enough money or I'm going to do enough so that I can like take on the burden of his mistake, of his sin, of his wronging you so that he can be free. I will pay you back. Which said, I I hinted at this last week. He's essentially saying, I'll take his place. I'll take whatever burden, whatever 
frustration, whatever anger, whatever disappointment, whatever embarrassment, and I will make it right. In the same way that that Jesus went to the cross for our sin, Paul is literally doing this in real time. He's taking on the burden of Onesimus. Verse 21, he leverages his power again. He says, I'm confident you'll do this and even more. I mean, he's like speaking into existence, Philemon doing this thing that he's asking him to do. And then the last thing he does, again, this is my favorite part. He's like finishes this whole thing and then verse 22 says, yeah, I'm probably gonna come visit you soon, so prepare a guest room. So if you don't do this, I'm gonna be showing up at your doorstep. Could be a week, could be a month, could be a year. I'm gonna be there and if Onesimus is still paying off this debt, I'm going to know about it. You, don't, you can ignore my letter, but I'm showing up on your doorstep. I'm going to come stay at your house. And imagine how awkward that's going to be unless you do what I ask you to do. There is a leveraging of power here. In any relationship where um, we're advocating for on behalf of other people, for doing what's right, we do need to use whatever power we have in order to help those that would be ostracized or those that would be considered outsiders or those that would be marginalized in our church and in our culture. And the last thing, as we alluded to a little bit, he leverages his very self. Again, verse 18 makes it clear. If he owes you anything, charge it to my account. He takes his place. And uh, verse 20 is kind of leveraging this friendship and leveraging himself as well. He says, you doing this, (laughs) you doing the thing that I'm asking you to do will refresh my heart in Christ. Essentially, I I understand this to mean that Philemon, by doing this thing, Philemon, you're going to show Paul once again the power of God, the power of the good news. Everyone else calls it foolishness. Everyone else in society is going to laugh about this whole thing. But what you're going to prove to me is that the Holy Spirit is working in your life the people that have had certain assumptions and certain expectations and certain way of living their whole life can be transformed and changed by the love of God in Christ. It will remind Paul why he is suffering in prison, of why he is willing to do that for Jesus. And so what I think it really means to be an advocate to Uh, fight for the outsider, to fight for the marginalized in the church or outside the church is to image Jesus. That's what Paul is doing here. Sarah read earlier to start our our, uh, um, church service off, he talked about how Jesus is an advocate for us. Later on, Jesus says, I'm gonna send you another helper, is how it's often interpreted, but it also could be an advocate 
An advocate is a person who comes to our aid or pleads our cause. An advocate offers support and strength and counsel and intercedes for us when necessary. This is what Paul is doing for Onesimus. And it's not based off of Onesimus just being a good person or now worthy of this. He's doing this because Onesimus has value, has worth. First John 2.1 says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We see this in the incarnation. We see this at the cross. Jesus leverages his power and his very self for our sake. For our sake, he comes and rescues us. He becomes poor so that we might become rich. For our sake, he dies. And so as we consider becoming, it's a very popular thing to become an advocate, right? In our culture, in our context. Certain things that we need to advocate for other people for, that we need to be helpers, that we need to intercede for them. And I think that that's a great thing. But I think so many of us um, advocate behind social media. (laughs) Or advocate behind watching and educating yourself on topics until no end. But to advocate is to write a letter. (laughs) To advocate is to offer to pay something back for someone else. To advocate is to use your privilege and power for the good of those people that need advocating for. To advocate is to lay down your own life for the sake of those that need to be advocated for. It's to leverage the good news of Jesus in other, pe- other Christians' lives. It's to leverage your very self, to leverage your friendships out of love for other people. I also find that advocating also is to people that we don't know <laughs> or people that we have no influence with or people that we have you know, so it, it, our adv- it's so it's 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 like um, it's so it's lacking like a local base. To advocate is to care for and advocate for the person down the street that's struggling and doesn't have a home. It's about the issues of racial injustice in the neighborhood of Uptown. It's about the. Uh, the single mom that's struggling to get her kids back and forth to school and work at the same time. And these are, this is what it means to advocate for people, right? Sometimes they're tied for, to justice. Sometimes they're tied to just needs, whatever it is. This is what it means to do those things. This is a really, uh, I want to close with this example. Um, a few years ago, uh, there was a, a woman that came to our church and, uh, and her, her name was Anna Pack. And so Jason's here today, and Jason and Anna were married, and she passed away um, about a year ago. But I, I wanted to share the story to you because I think it, it shows what it means to be an advocate. So Jason, I hope you're okay with this. <laughs> so we met, and it was about May of that year, and we had dinner together, 
and um, Sarah and I with, with Anna, and she shared her life and, and, and things about that were going on with her, and she became, started to become part of our church and started to engage uh, at a very deep level, joining our prayer team and all the things like that. And so one day she invited me to a Juneteenth party. And I remember thinking to myself, and this is, this is embarrassing for me to say, I don't know what that is. And she says, and I, I probably by the blank stare in my face, uh, she thought, he doesn't know what that is. <laughs> but she didn't embarrass me. She could have. She said, uh, yeah, so Juneteenth, she just starts explaining what it is. And she says, I, I want to have a party for people from our church. And I want you to come over and I'll make all the food and I'll do all the stuff and we're going to play games and we're going to do all of these things. And um, so she invited me over and there were other people that came in. And the whole night was centered around understanding what Juneteenth was. The whole thing was like there was trivia around it. There, there was like the, the food like centered around this stuff. She had this whole thing like beautifully planned out. And the whole night was essentially, and this is no joke, I felt like I walked away thinking, she's subtly educating me right now. Like this is like part of her goal in doing this and inviting her pastor is she's educating me on what this means and why it's important and why it's significant. She could have said, how do you not know what that is? You talk about caring about justice and you care about equality and you, know, you talk about racism and you don't know what that is. And I would have been like, I'm not showing up to that party. Uh, I'm definitely not, I mean, I might be Googling what Juneteenth is, but that's about as far as I'm going. I would have been scared out of my mind. And she so kindly educated me that night and everybody else that came that didn't come from a background that would know what this is about. And so I started to learn that what Juneteenth meant. It was, uh, it was tied to uh, the Emancipation Proclamation in 1865 and how that was uh, given that, that, that the enslaved were set free. But slave owners in Texas and other places around the world didn't acknowledge this or didn't tell their slaves. And so they remained enslaved until eventually Word got out through the army in Texas that, that they were eventually set free. And so this marks the day that these people that were enslaved were set free from slavery. So it was known as Juneteenth because it happened on June 19th. And each year, African-American, black, and indigenous communities hold commemorations to honor those who suffered and survived in the bonds of enslavement. It serves as a reminder of the contributions of these communities to the nation. Isn't it interesting, this is just a side note, that I had grown up and I have a high school education, I have a bachelor's degree, and I have a master's degree, and I didn't know what Juneteenth is. I can, I liked history a lot. And I actually paid attention in history class. And I'm pretty confident, I'm pretty confident that maybe there was a line or two in our textbook, but it was never talked about. And I think it shows how our context and the way that we grow up can dictate 
what we know about history and how to interpret things. And so Anna was an advocate in my life to grow and to change and to understand and to learn. I started thinking, well, what else do I know? (laughs) What else do I need to learn? And I think that that's what it means to be an advocate on a very small level, on a very small scale. Sometimes we think about it as being these kind of like world beaters and we're going to change the world and we're going to change the entire community. And sometimes it's just helping your pastor know a little bit more about something so that he can be a person that understands and cares more about justice, cares more about our history and understands what's actually taking place in the injustice. And so obviously that's, there's a lot of controversy about Juneteenth and because it became a national, like a federal holiday just this past week. And some people are saying, well, that's a great thing because now you know, we get to celebrate that. And other people are saying, yeah, that's a great thing, but what about like, things that actually make tangible differences like voting rights or you know, other things? And so, as it being yesterday, I wanted to give that example as just a small way in which someone has impacted my life is by being an advocate. And I would just say that there are other things that are going to come up. There are other, like, there, there could be someone that's, that's uh, hurting somebody else or somebody that's wronging somebody else in our community. And I, I want us to learn how to approach one another and advocate for, for truth, advocate for justice, advocate for the right thing to do. And I think we can learn a lot from Philemon. This is not like you have to take every one of these steps in order to do it. This is not like a prescriptive way to do (laughs) advocacy. But it does help us, doesn't it? It does give us some really clear pictures of what it means to do that as Christians. Paul can't make this request. And in the church, oftentimes our requests can't be based off of societal standards because the answers just would be no. He can't make this request simply by logic because sometimes the call of God doesn't make sense. Maybe it seemed like Philemon, like to Paul, that Philemon would have felt like he was selling out or this is illogical or this is unfair based on what he knew in his context in his day. Now, it's important to test for things that are true and understanding that things are, are, are right and wrong and not just believe anything that says, anyone says or maybe you could advocate for the wrong thing. But what I'm getting after today is when we know something is, is true, when we know something is from God's word, when we know that this is the, the very heart of God, will we use our influence, will we use our friendships, will we use um, our very selves to advocate for those? Like Philemon who need to be pointed to a better way. Rather than simply making demands, but we appeal to them on the basis of faith and love. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we ask that that we would image you. Uh, You did so many, um, you are our advocate. You proved that at the cross but we want to image you in the way that you humbled yourself and you became obedient to death. We want to uh, um, be like you in the way that you um, substituted yourself for the sake of those that were in need of being substituted for. 
Jesus, we want to be like you in the way that you loved people and still called out sin. So would we be a community that when we see sin in another person, that we would lovingly bring them back to the faith? When we see injustice in our community, would we push for justice in these ways? Would we become advocates for that? What a community this would be if we were like Paul and we advocated on the base of faith and love, willing to offer up our very selves. Would you make us a people like that? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.